right, all right, all right. Welcome to Really Queen Radio. My name is Brian Ken, and we are broadcasting live from San Francisco, California. And have we got a show for you tonight. I'm super excited about this. I have um, some really kind of interesting guests with me tonight. First of all, my first guest is um, she actually bought the nightclub that I used to own in San Francisco and now owns the nightclub now known as Halcyon. Please welcome Gina Milano. Hi, Gina. Hello, darling. How are you? I was at a dump and I transformed it into She It was a dump, girl. <laughs> <laughs> I sold her a dump. I was like, there you go, girl. Enjoy. Um, let's make sure we keep an eye on that incense we don't let the light set this place on fire while we're talking um and we have um uh, another guest who is a friend of genus his name is dante dante how are you i'm fantastic how are you i'm good dante you're from sacramento uh, i'm actually from san diego i'm just visiting family up in sacramento right now okay just a little family quinceanera or something what's uh, happening well, dad's in the hospital back to the broadcast yes. back to the, and now back He's to the better, but i had to see gino while i was up here so you know absolutely Absolutely, absolutely. Well, we're I'm excited to have you guys. And um, Gene and I had a really amazing weekend. Actually, this past weekend, it was President's Day weekend. I had two events. I threw Hustle Ball on Friday and Saturday, and then Sunday we went to. She had a, an event at her club, which was uh, was that uh, Heaven called Heaven. Yes, with Kai Martinez. Kai Martinez's production Heaven, and then we all went over to another Kai Martinez production because she's taken over the town um, called uh, I'm a Gina. No, I'm a Hema. I'm, I'm a Hema. I'm a uh, I'm a Gina. Oh, Gina. you're a Gina. I'm a Gina, <laughs> but I'm a Gina. You're, you're a Gina, Gina, yeah. girl. That's um, what the gays call me. And we had a lot of fun. We had so much fucking fun with you. I don't remember anything. I don't either, because then we ended up at the end up, which when you end up at the end up. I've been there. Really, Queen? Really? I mean, when you end up at the end up, you're like, you're like, um, hey, girl, uh, I, uh, you're like, girl, I went to the end up. And you're like, really? I went to the end up. And it's at that point when you realize like things are not good because you were at the end up and you just look at your friend and you're like. Queen. I mean, yeah, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> like, well, I oh. just got back to work today. What's that Thursday? Oh, my God. Well, it took me a couple of days, too, if I'm being honest. Um, but I'm super excited to have you guys on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. If you uh, have not joined us before, my name is Brian Kent. And each week, we explore a new musical artist who's helped to influence and form the LGBTQ community and culture as we know it today. Um, the show was basically born out of a conversation I was having with a friend of mine where I asked if he knew a particular artist that was playing. And he was like... Um, um, and he was like, well, who is this? And I said, I think it was actually Sylvester that was playing. And um, I was like, this is Sylvester. And he was like, who's Sylvester? And I was like, really queen. so it, it was, <laughs> yeah, it was like not a good look. So I'm like, okay, maybe I should do a show trying to like educate the, the younger generations on some of these people that have helped to um, influence our community. So if you want to reach out, we're on Instagram at really queen radio. And we'll also have a website, really queen and if you really have something to say, you are welcome to call into the show anytime during our live hour, which is from 8 to 9 at 415-550-0511. That's 415-550-0511. Now, here's basically how this works. Um, Today we have an artist that is very unique, and I say unique only because I wouldn't say that this artist was specifically, you know, known for his uh, musical abilities. Although he released four albums and had some very big hits, um, which is why we're going to talk about him. But he, you know, we've been doing a lot of the mainstream artists like George Michael and Elton John and Freddie Mercury, and so this artist I think um, absolutely was quintessential and important to you know to forming the 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 culture as we know it today. 
today, especially when we talk about like RuPaul and everything that's going on. Which, by the way, I think RuPaul started tonight, didn't it? Didn't it? Isn't RuPaul's Drag Race starting on Thursdays now? I think it starts tonight. I think it's right now during my show. Competition. <laughs> Excuse me, girl. Really? So, um, but yeah, maybe I don't know. Whatever, whatever. That's why we podcasted. But, um, but anyways, I'm gonna play the song. You, I bet most of you don't know this shit, but I'm gonna play it, and I want to see uh, if you guys uh, know who this is. All right, this is our first Divine, artist. Listen Divine, up. Divine, Divine. I know that was a hard one, especially. <laughs> I'm like, uh, see if you can find out who this is. And the song said, I'm going to go with Divine for 500, please, Alex. <laughs> you are right. <laughs> Divine is the correct answer. And uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, that was kind of funny. I didn't plan that to happen at all. We were just talking about how we don't have any um, booze in the station right now. And, you know, it's always a good thing, isn't it? Especially the o- when the only reason I'm here is because I was promised. Uh, mezcal margaritas and copious <laughs> amounts of candy, and all you got was Cheetos, uh, Cheeto flavored bo. Yeah, <laughs> my mom Sorry. actually maybe me bring you uh, cookies. Oh, I'll take a cookie. Right oh, now. you have a cookie. Oh my god, that's amazing. So uh, the artist is his na- real name. Well, he's known as Divine. His real name is Harris Glenn Milstead, and he went by Glenn because he didn't want to be confused with his father. And he's been described as one of the few truly radical and essential artist of the 20th century. I mean, he became famous, uh, first of all, for starring in his roles in John Waters films, which is what he's most popular for. The biggest one, of course, being Hairspray. The next one being Pink Flamingos, where a lot of weird shit happened. And I have an interview later with him that I'm going to play. It was like a couple minutes where he went on this uh, this like late night talk show, which was pretty funny. Um, but And one month before his death in 1988, the film Hairspray was released. So he died like only a month after. And that was actually really his dream of being a well-respected actor. He didn't really see himself as a drag queen which um is interesting the, the last song that we just heard called native love was his first single to chart on the dutch singles chart so here's what's weird right this guy he has all these singles and he charts on the dutch charts all the time because the dutch are fucking nasty <laughs> 
right? Like Amsterdam is in Deutschland, correct? Right. Or is that Germany? No, like, Deutschland no, Dutch. Is Germany. No, like, wait, Dutch. Dutch is Amsterdam. Netherlands, the Netherlands. Yeah. Yes, yes. Amsterdam. Yes. <laughs> Amsterdam for 1,000. <laughs> yes, you have so many points. <laughs> so drinks are in here then today. What is Amsterdam for 1,000? So, yeah, um, we, we uh, yeah, so he has a lot of singles that happen on the Dutch charts, which, which is kind of crazy, but that's where they loved him. And um, the song spent a total of 11 weeks on that chart, and it remains Di- Divine's highest charting song in the U.S. as well on the Hot Dance Club Songs chart, where it peaked at number 21. But it was his, his highest song in the United States ever at number 21. And this was in 1982. So, you know, I mean, that, I mean, that song wasn't like, oh, I mean... I man, I love them, but the song wasn't that spectacular, right? <laughs> it was kind of repetitive, but it did make the charts. Who is that? Me? <laughs> That's not me. With that, oh my god, that is me. Anyway, um, wait, were you were you like in um, college in 1982? <laughs> I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen, the show has been canceled. Tonight's show has been canceled. I'm, where were you in 1982? Just so I get a little. In 1982, I was in junior high school. Okay. Right. I graduated high school in 1987. Okay. So, 82, I would have been in junior high school. Just checking. <laughs> yes. Where were you in 1982? <laughs> I was, a, I was a, a, a fetus. A fetus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just, just that, that's because you were curled up in some curb drunk. <laughs> <laughs> the fetus position does not count, girl. But critics praised his performance as the character Edna Turnblad, and um, his agent at the time, by the name of Bernard J., claimed that he had never seen Divine so happy. He even landed, which I didn't know, a guest role in the hit TV show Married with Children. Mm-hmm. Um, but he passed away from an enlarged heart the night before filming. Because he just loved too much? He just loved too much. Can you imagine like getting this role on Married with Children? You're finally like crossing over into mainstream and then you die. Like the night before filming. He was in Los Angeles at a hotel. We'll talk about it in a minute, but like it was it was pretty crazy. But you know, one of the things I found interesting about Divine is that he was famous for his drag persona, like over the top, like gross antics. But in real life that was so not him. It's the fact he was quoted as saying his favorite part of drag was getting out of drag. And and he he and in the quote in the interview that I have, he talks about how it was like, Oh, you know, that was that's just my that's what I that's my work outfit. That's my work uniform, you know, as opposed to he's like some people go and they wear like a hard hat and boots and I just get up and drag and then I get out of drag. Um he did embrace his, his, his homosexuality um, openly, but he didn't consider himself a drag queen. He didn't consider himself transgender. He didn't consider himself transsexual. He was just wanted to be taken seriously as a male character actor. Um, and, and in later years, he, he did kind of prove that. Um, many who knew him said he was soft-spoken and, and, and kind and soft and generous, which you just wouldn't expect from him when you watch his movies because he's just fucking out there and crazy. Um, so a little bit of background on him before I play another track of his. He was born um, in 1944 in Baltimore. And so in Baltimore, sorry, 1945 in Baltimore. And Baltimore is where Hairspray was set. Um, and he was an only child. His mother had two miscarriages before he was born. And by 1945, his family was, um, you know, his family was actually relatively well off. They had a very a good life. Um, and then at age 12, he moved to a suburb of Baltimore and he attended a high school where he was bullied for being overweight. Obviously, this was a huge person. He was over 300 pounds most of his life. And as a kid, he he was, you know, he was beat up and, and he was, he was, was basically tortured, um, in school. And I'm, I don't, you know, I don't know about you. I well, you, I don't know if you're gay, but, um, I know you're not gay or well, you're gay. You're totally gay. I'm a fag. You're a total fag. <laughs> 
But, you know, as a kid, um, you know, if you don't look like other kids, you know that. And especially if you're gay, you're a little bit effeminate, you, you have problems and, and you get, and it, it gets physical. And it wasn't until he actually went to a doctor's and had to disrobe for a physical where they saw all these bruises and were like, what in the fuck is going on? And his parents found out and he finally came clean and said, um, okay, well, these kids are beating me up at school every day because I'm gay and because I'm overweight. And so the parents, of course, did something. They called on authorities. These kids were expelled. However, that didn't make him very popular. Right, they made him less popular than he already was. So, it was um, it was it was a very hard time for him. And I think you know that's so many true with so many artists, don't you think? Like they go through these torturous childhoods, and then they end up, you know, somehow expressing that through art and creativity. I feel like you want to say something. No, I don't want to. I'm, just, I'm listening intently. I think it's fascinating. <laughs> I had no idea. No, I exactly. So he speaks out about how he never went out till about 16 years old. And when he did go out, he would always wear this big, giant raincoat because it would somehow make him feel like it was hiding how fat he was or find, hiding how he looked. So he wore this raincoat for years. Um, and it was around the time that he became friends with, um, at the time, the future filmmaker, John Waters. Um, so it was kind of a... Kind of this weird match made in heaven for the two of them, you know? Here was this in- insecure kid that was getting beaten up, that was overweight and gay, and then he met, like, John Waters at, at a young age who had these desires to be this filmmaker, and the two of them end up, obviously, making um, history and magic, so it's kind of cool. Um, this next song is called "Play." Uh, <clears throat> it's called Shoot Your Shot. This was 1983, so it was his second um, track. Um, it was his second single to, t- to chart on the Dutch Top 40, um, again, uh, it debuted at number 26. It peaked at number three. Think of that, number three in the Netherlands. Um, and it was the first song to be certified gold. That means 100,000 copies in the Netherlands. In the Netherlands, if you sell 100,000 copies, you're gold. Um, so let's take a listen to this to the song because um, it's another one of his accomplishments that I think deserves a little attention. This is Shoot Your Shot. Thank you. 
Obviously, this is a very long remix. There she is. Okay, now we were just saying, we were all dancing around the studio, but we were also saying, like, what song does that sound exactly like? I feel loved. Totally. Right? Yes. Except in the right key, right? (laughs) 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 No, but it totally does sound like that. It's interesting how, like, I mean, it was later than that. That was 1983, that song, so that was much after I Feel Love, which was in the 70s. But, um, so... He after he gra- we're like licking our lips because we all had cookies while we were listening to the song. I feel like eating cookies three, and dancing around a divine. Three types of chocolate. Triple as an, chocolate. As an homage to divine, we were eating cookies. <laughs> you filthy pig. <laughs> right? So after he graduated high school, he went to a beauty school where he learned um, hairstyling, which obviously would benefit him later on in his career. Um, and then he worked at several different salons and his, his parents actually helped him buy his own salon um, in town hoping he would like to learn some responsibility and have his you know his life together and have a shot at life and then he quit in 1970. <laughs> well, I have a question. I have some questions. Yeah. You may or may not know the answer, all knowing Brian, but where were these songs being played? They were be- being played in like Burgine or something or like nightclubs and... Yeah, they, that's exactly where they'd be playing. Like kind of underground, nightclub-y, the disco scene, like, um, you know, these 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 different like nightclubs and scenes. It was definitely an, uh, the underground scene of things. It wasn't mainstream. Although, you know, in Deutschland, no, not in Deutschland, <laughs> in Dutch, in Netherlands, he was the, it was in the clubs. It was the main thing um so yeah i mean i think some of these what happened was somebody he saw the the success of some of his movies and was like oh you know like i can take advantage of a lot i can do hair i can act and i can sing now like why not um the nickname divine do you know how he got it no please don't this is a cool story so the nickname divine was given to him by john waters himself um and at the time waters was reading our lady of the flowers which is by uh, um, uh, a story by Jean Gonnet. And it's a controversial book about homosexuals living on the outskirts of Parisian society. Um, and so Waters borrowed the name Divine from a character in the book. And in a 1973 quote that Divine confirmed this and said that he liked the name that John gave him. And so no one ever called him Glenn after that. And he was called Divine ever since. Ooh la la. Ooh la la. So he got it from Our Lady of the Flowers. That's <laughs> do, just do we think that he was just like this fabulous personality and he and John Waters like hooked up and started laughing hysterically like you and I do when we run into each other like at random places? Right. It's, and they like loved each other. 
together and then this whole thing happened this amazing relationship well you can imagine John Waters first of all like how crazy and kooky and, and just bizarre left he is right but looking completely normal but looking completely normal but the two of them yeah here are these two like kind of like just people that didn't fit in people that were kind of not normal quote unquote and then they found each other and suddenly they were normal because it's like you and me like sometimes I don't feel normal and I know that you don't feel normal but then when I get with you I feel totally normal exactly <laughs> and, and there's like nothing normal about it there's quote unquote normal right there's nothing normal about being normal with you so <laughs> I do I do think that there was there was um, I think there definitely was that element between them and I think that's what happened and that's why you know they were friends and worked together and I and John Waters was one of Divine's biggest fans in terms of what he felt he could do and accomplish and bring to um, to the table um, it's you know I don't know it, it's just it's just one of those things where I think two people who feel like they don't fit in somehow find each other and feel better about what they what they do and they and then they reach success together well I feel like the, the thing that you know they're so outrageous right and so I feel as if they really pushed each other like no you be outrageous no you be outrageous like how outrageous can you be right and then it got so outrageous like did the, wait everyone wants to know inquiring minds want to know did he really eat the turd or was it just like a fake turd he really ate the turd oh wow. my goodness gracious he really ate the turd I mean I'm not even willing to be this outrageous like, <laughs> and listen you know that was really I, queen it was a, right, really queen <laughs> It was a it was a publicity stunt, and like I I mean every face on the set I mean their face literally said Queen. that's what it said it was just like oh my god did you just eat that bitch but it was a publicity stunt and it worked because it absolutely brought them into this like culty underground thing where people that just wanted to see crazy stupid shit midnight movies Mid- yeah. midnight movies I'm so glad you, oh my god I'm so glad you brought that up so most most certainly most younger people have no idea what that even means. Right, there was a time right where you couldn't go see culty films or crazy films unless it was at midnight because that's you know that's when you went that's when you saw Rocky Horror Picture Show that's when you went and saw Pink Flamingos and so um, they just didn't happen and now you know it doesn't it's not like that anymore no one goes to midnight movies anymore watch it on Netflix and chill exactly Netflix and chill right <laughs> you know I think actually might be now might be a really good time because we're kind of on the subject so this is an interview that um, Joan Waters John Waters and Divine did with. Um, John Snyder, who had a talk show at the time, and it comes in with John Snyder being like, you know, how could you do that? Like, what? Can, and he's the thing is, this is a time when homosexuality certainly was not normal or was not accepted, and I think he, John Snyder was trying to be really cool, like, okay, I don't understand this, so educate me. Like, why did you do this? And so he's talking to John Waters and he's talking to Divine about this particular scene and then it gets in. So first you're going to hear John Waters, sorry, you're going to hear um, John Snyder ask about what's going on and then you'll hear John Waters' response and then you'll hear Divine uh, chime in. So let's give this a listen because I think it's it's a really kind of cool interview and, and and what he has to say. I mean, that's, why would you make a picture that has that kind of a well, scene? I mean, that's disgusting. John. Well, it was disgusting but it was also funny and we had 10 thousand dollars to make a film there was no such thing as underground movies we had to compete with shampoo the big moves we had to get people's attention well, on that budget you can't buy chicken salad i'll go along with that okay? oh, it, it really was a first and a last in movie history are you trying to make things in motion pictures that are the sleaziest scuzziest well, we used things to we get? used to but we're basically even with pink flamingos in the early films all we're trying to do is get people to laugh and people have strange sense of humor sometimes <laughs> yeah. well like what's funny to you john well, I thought that that scene was, I like to make, make people laugh at something that you would generally never laugh at in real life. Like, uh, there's a scene in Polyester where trick-or-treaters come to the door and the woman doesn't have any candy, so they kill her. All right. Well, 
but people <laughs> see people laugh. <laughs> no, 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 no. Old, old Tom's progressive, but he kind of draws the line when we kill people. You know, well, but see, they wouldn't laugh if it was their mother, but they laugh if it's in a movie. So I'm trying to make you laugh at something that you generally wouldn't laugh at. It's a now, nervous laugh. Do you dress up as a woman in, the, in polyester? Yes. Why, why, why do you do this all the time? Don't you like men's clothes? All the time? No, I don't do it all the time. They're my work clothes. I mean, uh, <laughs> they have, I mean, a lot of people pick up a work a pail and uh, a cap and go to work. Or I work put on a dress and a wig and a pair of heels. Uh, I was always uh, drawn towards uh, Victor Mature and Jane Mansfield when I was younger and just felt closer to Jane, so I leaned up mm -hmm. to that side. Mm -hmm. How close did you want to get to Victor is the question. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. I just, but just wanted to make people laugh, and we thought it would be a, a funny thing. To, uh, because when you think of a blonde bombshell, you think of Monroe or Mansfield or those very shapely women. You don't think of a 300-pound man. Right. <laughs> Isn't that funny? So I love that. I, I really love that interview because I just think it's it's kind of cool. And it's true, right? People will laugh at shit like, you know, you killed some woman because she doesn't have candy. I mean, we laugh. And, and let's face it, Marilyn and, and Jim may have ended up looking like Divine if they had stayed alive. <laughs> <laughs> That's very fucking true. And, you know, but John Waters, like, he purposely intent, like his intent was on filming the trashiest movie in cinema history. I mean, that was what he set out to do because it was different and it made people laugh. And if you watch any of these films, and I, I don't know how many of his films you've seen. Um, I'm going to win the worst fag hag in SF award by you, saying I've never completely watched a John Waters film from beginning to Oh, end. my God. Oh, okay. Well, we just have, we. it's a process. We have Stoning some, coming on. We have some work to do. Yeah. We're going to throw incense at you. I just feel like my, my gay friend's like, oh, you haven't seen, like, here's my favorite scene. And they show you something. And like, all I know is that I have my cha-cha heels. And that's all that really matters in the end. Okay, Jeannie Tracy. Cha-cha-cha. <laughs> um, so he formed, um, John, John Waters formed a production company called Dreamland Productions. And his regular cast, which was like Mink Stoll, um, Divine, uh, and a bunch of those guys, they were known as Dreamlanders because they were the regular cast. And many of um, the cast and crew, you know, consisted of his regular friends from... Um, um, from Baltimore um, and uh, let's see I said it was Divine David Nakri Mink Stole um, May Vivian Pierce a, a bunch of people um, but there was a song that he he sang called Love Reaction which was his third single off of his album called The Story So Far by Divine and it was recorded um, twice upon the suggestion of Divine's Dutch record company which is I guess why he's big in Dutch that doesn't make sense, but the <laughs> Netherlands. Um, and the sec here's an interesting story about this song. The second version modeled after New Order's successful song, Blue Monday. Do you remember? Do you know New yes. Order? Remember New so Blue Monday. And so a lawsuit was actually threatened against the writer of this song for audio plagiarism, but it actually never really materialized. So um, I don't know. We'll see if this see how New Ordery this sounds. Um, all right. Does Let's it sound see. as Donna Summery as the other one? Does it what? <laughs> sound as Donna Summery as the I Feel Love knockoff? Does that, <laughs> well, let's find out. <laughs> it might. Oh, this oh, sounds no, exactly no. like it. Exactly like it. Oh my God, it does sound like it. Uh, 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 oh, where's this song going? I have no idea. Oh. Okay, wait. This. Okay, we're gonna listen to this. Hold on. Treat me like you do when you, when you Oh, oh, we lost it there. Okay, now it's created. Okay, I mean, <laughs> it's a remix. 
It's a remix. It's a remix. It, it definitely sounds like that song, Blue Monday, right? Yeah. I mean, if they sued him today, they'd win. I want to hear the vocal. Hold on, let's listen to the vocal. We're just like laughing so hard. <laughs> like certain parts of it, we're like looking at each other, like, "Oh my god!" Like it's. Well, you can see why he got sued. Well, one apparently he doesn't sing on it, and it was it wasn't it wasn't Divine that got sued. It it was the writer. But I'm dying to hear the vocal. Where is it? I'm gonna move this ahead. Let's just say. Uh, giving you Egyptian realness right now. Mm, 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 mm. Yeah, okay, so I can see why he <laughs> <laughs> filed lots. You say he got like sued, the, but it didn't go through. It was but the remix. It, it didn't, it, well, it didn't materialize. Oh, okay. Yeah, right. I'm it, surprised it didn't, because... <laughs> I'm surprised it didn't either. I don't, you know, who knows? It costs money to sue, yeah. right? So maybe there was that. And as- maybe she, maybe Divine had no money, so it was like, why even? Why, right, why even bought and John Water, <laughs> or the writer? It wasn't, and it wasn't, he didn't, remember, he didn't sue Divine, he sued the writer. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so the first Everybody film that Divine did, Dressed as a Woman, was called Roman Candles, and it was filmed in 1966, so this is way before the music, in which he dressed as a smoking nun. Now, you remember, you can think about this in 1966, like a smoking nun, like that's just not, that just was not okay. And then the next movie where he appeared in drag was called Eat Your Makeup. Okay, this is fabulous. It was filmed in 1968, before I was born, slow down Gina. In the film, he portrayed a fictionalized character version of Jacqueline Kennedy, who kidnaps fashion models and forces them to eat their own makeup. I want to watch this one. Okay, that sounds amazing. Like, can you imagine just like, kidnapping like Iman and like shoving makeup down her throat? <laughs> I mean, don't we want to shove anything down their throat? Well, I mean, but I think the makeup is like a. Great I mean, idea. even food, yeah. like a Tic Tac. Like, <laughs> like any, I'm going to shove anything I can get. Anything. That's why he's like, well, they have makeup on them. Let's just feed them that. Maybe they'll gain some pounds. At the time, though, the films were obviously not <laughs> widely received, but remained um, underground with like you know the hippie subculture. Like these were these underground movies that were you know starting to come. And and Divine made a point of keeping his involvement with these you know these low budget underground films he kept it from his conservative parents who wanted obviously bought him the hairdressing salon and so were hairdresser like, by day like wacky film star by night well I think it was more like um, no longer hairdresser by day and what in the hell is this movie where you're shoving makeup down th- people's throats like but obviously is, doing his own hair right yeah. <laughs> right. so Divine continued to appear in um, in drag in more of Waters films such as the Diane Linkletter story which was in 1969 which was loosely based on the true story of Art Linkletter's daughter, Ew, political, Diane. Political thriller. Yeah, right? Who committed suicide the, the previous year. So this was like obviously right on the edge of like a suicide. And then Divine obviously started getting more notoriety after appearing in Mondo Trasho, which you probably don't know, and multiple main acts. In Mondo Trasho, Divine played an unnamed blonde woman who runs over a hitchhiker. Oh my God. That was you. It yeah. was. I mean, maybe. <laughs> 
plead the fifth. Um, and then, <laughs> and then, Multiple Maniacs was the first John Motor films to receive like a widespread attention due to its controversial nature because Divine played this character called Lady Divine who runs an exhibit known as the Calvacade of Perversion. And in one scene, Lady Divine pleasures herself in the church using a rosary. I mean, who hasn't done that? It's though? like Benoit balls, <laughs> giant, like a giant Benoit it's, ball rosary. Is it's that like what they're a, called? Benoit balls. Benoit balls are the round, the, right? So you think of anal beads? Uh, oh yeah, right. Some same thing, right? I mean, they can you can use them. We're gonna that. have to see a film clip. We're gonna have to. See this, we have so. to see a film clip. And in another scene, she kills her boyfriend and eats her heart, which you've done before. So you know, right? Just eat the boyfriends. You just you just <laughs> eat the boyfriends. Um, but the the movie that inevitably got Divine, you know, to stardom was Pink Flamingos, and this is the one where you know John Waters meant he, he you know it was definitely meant to be an exercise in poor taste, which is what he said because it was. We all know the stories of Flink, Pink Flamingo, but it's about a woman, obviously played by Divine by the name of Babs Johnson, who um, who owns now the title of The Filthiest Person Alive. That's her title. And Mink Stoll and David Lottery play a couple who are bent on challenging her to take that title of Filthiest Person Alive. So it's literally a movie about two a couple and her challenging each other to be the filthiest people alive. Which what, is super cool. What do they get if they win? Like, I don't. I don't like. I just think they just want the title. They don't. It's not even about they win. They just want to be known as you know we are the filthiest person alive or the filthiest people alive. Um, and then after that, um, uh, after Pink Flamingo's Divine and Mink Stole, you know Mink Stole. Have you seen Mink Stole in the current Hairspray? Uh, have you seen Hairspray like the current one? Second. I'm really gonna have to talk to you after this show. <laughs> Fag hag revoked. <laughs> Mink Stole was also in Crybaby. No. Okay. Oh wow. Okay. So, so they. But the two of them did a lot of like small budget plays at the Palace Theater in San Francisco, which is kind of cool. And they were both a part of the Coquettes. Do you remember the? Do you know what the Coquettes uh, are? This is a San, no. I don't know. But this is a San Francisco story. Like the Coquettes were a San Francisco kind of oh. gay performance group. Yes. Ex- exactly. They were a drag troupe. And the first time I talked about the Coquettes on the show was the very very first episode we ever did with about Sylvester because yes. Sylvester was in the Coquettes too. Oh. Interesting. So both Sylvester and Divine were in the San Francisco gay drag troupe um, called the Coquettes, which I just thought was really kind of cool. Like sometimes you don't real, realize how these worlds overlap. Well, I have questions. So, yeah. so Divine was living in SF and doing some like performance stuff with these people or like, so she had like a little stint or she or he, what do we, what do we call? I don't even know. This um, I think Divine is a she. Okay. I think we say she yeah, and for sure. He was, with Glenn, yeah, he's doing who we don't talk about anymore. No. I mean, right. It's like Glenn, Nobody, all divine. Yeah, so, I mean, he must have lived here because if he's in a troop here, I, it wasn't. You know, it sounds like he lived here for some period of time, for sure. Because I'm fascinated by this whole concept of like they were obviously hanging out together in places, like coming up with the shtick, coming up with the stuff, like being humorous themselves. And where was that happening? Like, where is our in Baltimore? You mean John Waters? Yeah, John yeah, Waters. Yeah, I think uh, definitely in Baltimore was because that's where they met. That's where they're friends for a long time. I think this was probably a departure from Baltimore for a period of time. But I think they were really, I think they were friends. You know, this is, so this was, I'd say, so this was after Pink Flamingos. So he obviously took a break or she obviously took a break after Flink Flamingos and, you know, came here and did some drag troop stuff. So they remained friends and continued on. But, you know, the stuff with John was, you know, all happened back in Baltimore. Okay. So so let's play let's play a little game. I, I play a little game. So this is a I I always call it truth or dare, but it's not truth or dare, which sounds more fun. It's true <laughs> or false. So um, true or false. Um, let's see. Boy George has a huge tattoo of divine on his arm. 
True. Don't want to say true. That is true. He has a huge tattoo of Divine on his arm, which I think if you've if we just talked about Board George actually last week, and he has all these tattoos of these different artists that he loves. Susie and the Banshees. Um, I know there's another one. Um, and an interesting fact about um, uh, <clears throat> um, what's the movie? That was Hairspray. So originally, Divine was supposed to play not only Edna, but he was also supposed to play Tracy. Mm-hmm. So Edna's the mother, Tracy's the daughter. So he was supposed to actually play both roles but um, New Line Cinema or, or would not let him do that they were like um, you know look you're 40 years old you can't play your own daughter <laughs> we're like we don't care how much makeup you use so this next song for me this is a song that I remember coming out this is a song when I was going out to clubs that I remember of Divine before any of the I didn't, didn't really remember any of those other songs but this one absolutely I remember it was his fifth single um, from his album The Story So Far and um it was written by a guy named Jeff Dean, who was formerly the lead singer and main songwriter of both The Leighton Buzzards and Modern Romance. I don't know if you remember Modern Romance, but he was um, the lead singer and main songwriter for them. So um, J- Jeff Dean later went on to write the cross-dressing themed movie Kinky Boots. Interesting. Oh. And so he wrote this song. This is the person who later wrote Kinky Boots. Um, he wrote the song. And this particular song was also covered later on by the Vaselines. I mean, I remember... Th- the name I don't remember them that well, but this is in 1987, and it appeared on the EP called uh, their EP called Son of a Gun. So I remember going into clubs because this was just like the gay fucking song, and um, I'm not sure if you remember it, but I play the video on Fridays at the edge of the song, and it's fucking fierce. Listen up. It's called "You Think You're a Man." I said that to a guy. You, you think, think you're a man, you're just a toy. 
toy. <laughs> but you're only a toy. <laughs> only a boy. Not enough to satisfy me. A boy toy, <laughs> right? But you're not man enough to satisfy me. Oh my god, that video is so cool. She comes out in this like silver, like satin dress, just like a pinwa, just pinwa like set. stuffed into it. She comes out, <laughs> and there's like all these good, like go, like fierce bodied go go dancers, like dancing around her, and it's just, it's actually really, it's really, really a cool, it's a cool video, just because it's way back when. And you know, when you look at the, this time, I mean, this is 1984, so this, you know, she kind of predates. Hates RuPaul. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. But also, we were just commenting while the song was playing how this is such an '80s a classic sound for electronic dance music. Yeah, it's sure. Like the, it's it, it's obviously right in line with what was happening at the time with New Order and like exactly you know, transition away from disco. Absolutely transition from disco into this stuff. And I do. I mean, we must admit that they all sound a little familiar. They like, all sound to songs yes, they do. Heard, yes, they do. Before. But um, but again, like being on this kind of at the time very French mm-hmm. culture, mm-hmm. being a drag queen or a character actor, as he preferred to call himself, because right. of the time and what have you. Right. Uh, it's a pretty fascinating um, impact on dance music. And like you saying that you would go to the club and this was playing, and you guys knew the lyrics. That's that's pretty impressive. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and and you know, there probably wouldn't be. I mean, for all intents and purposes and no disrespect to RuPaul but there probably wouldn't be a RuPaul's Drag Race I mean this was the kind of thing could be Divine's Drag Race if she was still alive I was thinking earlier you said that he hung out with John Waters and his crew and like what were they called the Dreamliners or the, the, uh, yeah, uh, Dreamliners well, could that be like a proto club kids like from New York that inspired it Ab- outlandish you know, uh, acts absolutely I mean I think that's what that meant like we're part of this crew of, of people that are just out there exactly you know for sure um, you know he uh, in 1974 he returned to Baltimore obviously from I'm assuming now that we understand it's like from San Francisco and he continued filming in drag and appearing in he fe- he pe- uh, did a film called Female Trouble which you probably heard of which was another big one and that then was the Cha Cha Hills was that the Cha Cha Hills was Female Trouble the Cha Cha Hills was it um, wait wait what was which was the Cha Cha Hills oh my god we're going to Google it because I can't remember because then he did Polyester which is another really big one and then uh, Lust in the Dustland Trouble in Mind and <laughs> the names of these films are by the way fascinating tru- right well Trouble in Mind he got to play the role of a man which was like Oh my God, first time ever, right? So after filming Female Trouble, he made his way back to theater work. So he took a role in a comedy in theater called Women Behind Bars, where he played the prison matron called Pauline. Can you imagine him just being this like prison matron, Pauline? Well, an over what, like a theme in all of the all of the little snippets I've seen because mm. I haven't seen a full movie, but the mm. snippets I've seen, there's lots of like physical abuse and physical acting and like hitting and spanking and like the pinoir, you know, crazy. Oh, and, totally. Like, so I can only imagine that he must have just flourished. She must have flourished in the wrong <laughs> present card. <laughs> she was so good at that. Well, it's funny because that that particular play, Women Behind Birds, gained like a lot of success. In New York City's like truck and warehouse theater industry, and was taken to London's Whitehall Theater. I mean, it was that oh, big well. that they, you know, they went to London. I mean, I'm sure it was some back alley in London, but whatever. <laughs> they went, they went to London. But during the disco era, you know, Divine's agent um, said, you know, that you should take advantage of the love of your nightclubs and start performing at them. And he did his first live show in 1979 at a gay club in Florida, um, and was hit. And his career doing live performances took off. He was a total hit, and and that's when he was like, okay, this is what I'm going to do live stuff um he described his stage performances as just good dirty fun and i can only imagine like he's like a cr- 
across. He's like a rougher, grosser version of like Bianca Del Rio. You know, just like <laughs> really just he would banter with his audience members and swearing at them and inviting them to come up on the stage to fondle them. Like just, you know, his followers just ate it up. And in his own words, he would say, if you find it offensive, honey, don't join in. And I will, I'll tell you this. I remember Bianca Del Rio is a, a good friend of mine, she's been for years, and she did a show here, and I remember after, you know, she's very controversial at times, and she did this show, and after the show, somebody came up and was, like, basically yelling at her for, you know, stuff she had said during the show, and she says, but you're still here. <laughs> you're still fucking here. Right. Like, if I've fucking offended you, get the fuck out. Like, don't stick around and listen to the whole fucking thing. And she had a point, and I think that's kind of like what he was saying. If you don't like it, you can, you know, you're welcome to fucking leave. You know, no one's making you, no one's making you stay. Um, there's a Song that I kind of thought was so so cool because you know Divine was not pretty, right? Right, and so there's no, the most beautiful woman alive, almost. Well, there's a music video for this next song which is called "I'm So Beautiful," <laughs> and Divine is seen dancing and singing in a hall of mirrors, right? And the video includes several black and white scenes of Snow White and the Seven Dwarves as lawn ornaments while it's raining. Oh, like kind of an interesting, like you know, I'm beautiful, and it's kind of like that whole thing. Like everyone is. Googling that right now to see it. Everybody's Googling right now. <laughs> um, but I love the lyric when it comes in. It's just like, I'm so beautiful. <laughs> it's like, it's exactly what you would think someone who's not beautiful is. Chain smoking. So wait, let's just give this a listen and let's just wait till the lyric comes in. Here it comes. singing that when I go out. I know. I mean, that needs to be our mantra. That's my new song to get ready to now. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm so beautiful. We're all so beautiful. Can't you see? Could you imagine if you just played that every time you were getting ready? <laughs> Show up like, to the club. I'm so beautiful. Can't you see? <laughs> <laughs> we're all beautiful. God, it sounds so beautiful. Mm. I think it's bad that I wake up every morning to that song Perfect Day from Legally Blonde. <laughs> <laughs> Sun's up a little after. Like, seriously, that's how I wake up every day. How much fun would Divine have today spoofing all of that stuff? That would have been brilliant. Oh, my God. I, I mean, I'm pretty sure. I mean, you have to think about, um, you know, if he if he had not died at, at a young age, because he was only in his early 
1940s when he died. So he was he died in 1988. Um, you know how famous he would probably be today, especially with everything that's happened over the years. You know, you wonder like what that career path would be and how much fun it would have been to have him still around doing just crazy things and would he would he be acting more as a man would he still be like i think there's so like a lot of people believe he would have been like the rupaul like you know what i mean like just with the crazy underground following that he had for years i mean who knows i'm curious how he would have been married with children like would he have been like his divine character or was he gonna play a male role he was supposed to play an uncle he was supposed to play like uncle something or other i totally yeah, Uncle Esther. <laughs> oh, I know. He was supposed to play. Uncle it was a guest appearance. The next day, he was supposed to play as Uncle Otto. And I don't know what Uncle Otto like. You know, he looks like an Uncle Otto out of drag. But I don't know what like what exactly what the role was. But it was not as divine. It was as a man. Right. Well, that's another interesting facet. I think that this whole I'm a character actor. I'm not a drag queen. Like, was it because it wasn't really comfortable to be a drag queen at that time? Yeah. You know, and and all drag queens are character actors. We know this. Sure. Know they're all performers and. Some of them funnier than others, right? Um, right. But I do think that was that was probably part of it, right? It's like, well, no, I'm a character actor, mom and dad. I'm not a it's, drag queen. It's almost like know. saying I'm bisexual, right? You know, for like when so many artists were like, oh, I'm bisexual, and then later on they came out gay. But at the time, they had to say that because that was more acceptable right. than saying that they were gay. You know. Well, I will say this: like my first, well, I grew up in New Orleans, which was very kind of divine heavy because there's like lots of you know alternative uh, lifestyles that's where Bianca Del Rio is from yes it is Um, but I'll never forget like when I first went to New York like early club days like Tunnel with like Junior Vasquez Mm -hmm. and Danny Tineglia and I met you know predominantly gay men were my friends like all these gay males and they were constantly like quoting divine behaving like divine acting out divine things and this is like mid early 90s Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. You know, he's been, he's been, he's passed on for a while now, mm-hmm. but they're still like really into this whole thing. They're watching the shows all the time. Now that even today, like again, like now that you, you know, they'd have videos, but like, you, know, you have to watch parts of this snippet thing back then. It was VHS recordings. Mm-hmm. Now though, I have friends who are like, you've never seen that girl. Like I'm in a hotel room the other night with like DJ Dan and whatever. They're like, you have to watch it. And then we watched the Cha Cha Shoes <laughs> video again. So, uh, uh-huh. you know, it really is like, has such a, a impact on gay and just popular culture, like not just gay culture, but like sure. popular culture today, like really quite, uh, you know, legendary. It is. And, you know, and that's why we talk about it because, um, you know, these, these are the people that have helped form. I mean, the fact that you this many years later, you're sitting in a room and they're going, Oh, you haven't heard that. Or you got to watch this clip. And how many years has that been? And yet somehow we still talk about it because it is a, a foundational part of yes. the LGBT, you know, Q, yes. You know, culture, yeah. and I, and I think the song speaks volumes, right? Like, I am beautiful. We are all beautiful. Can't you see? I mean, what mm-hmm. we all know what what she he is saying in that moment. Like, we're all beautiful. Forget about your judgments and what have you, right? And I think that was a, a this thing. It was a judgment. It was like flaunting judgment. Mm-hmm. Like, judge me. Go ahead right. and judge me. Right. Because here I am. And I think that's where we all like want to live right now. Like, we're just like, fuck you for judging us. Yeah. Absolutely. You're going to say something? Oh, I was like, that goes back to the whole John Waters, like, you know, movement to like subvert, like, what's considered appropriate or okay. It's like, fuck you. We're going to fucking beat shit on camera. We're going to, right. you can be the filthiest person there is. Like, 
why because we can we don't care what you think exactly and i think so many you know gay youth at the time or you know even if you weren't gay but especially if you're gay like you identified with that like you identified with being different and that this person was embracing being something like yeah i'll eat shit on it's almost like own literally owning your shit yeah exactly. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know like i remember that i think i've even brought this up once before there was a family guy episode where they find out that lois had filmed a porn and oh, so yeah. everybody was judging her and being like oh she filmed a porn she performed blah, blah, blah. So what she did was she went into like this town hall meeting and she put the porn on and was just like there like she owned it and then no longer was it like this big deal Mm -hmm. and so it's kind of like that like I think for me growing up like Divine was like one of those figures where I'm like wow she's like in the mainstream she's not not in in my for my world it was the mainstream like we're we're in a club listening to this we're in a club listening to a drag queen that sings a song it's like when I saw RuPaul the very first time RuPaul was one of the main inspirations for me as a musician and that happened because I was in a club in LA and I remember being at this club studio one and I watched and I saw her show and I literally sat in a car with my friend after the show and I was like wow if a drag a drag queen can become popular and doing shows and performing and be on a video and have an own music video like why can't I do that and that inspired me to do that, which was why later on, and here's a quick little funny aside, years later, um, once I had hit the Billboard charts and I had you know done what I did, and I had worked for Christine W. on the way up there, who helped me, I did a show where it was me, RuPaul, and Christine W. <laughs> so it was kind of like this full circle thing for me. But you know that 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 made me believe that I could be something that I that I could be a singer, I could be you know I could be famous, I could have a music video, I could do these things because if they could do it, then I could do it. So it was inspirational. You know, for me to see that. And again, as a timestamp, like we're talking about the 60s and 70s, and we're right, not talking exactly. about 90s and 2000s. Right. Yeah, which for, is really for sure. amazing. For sure. I mean, I was, it was, I was just coming, I was just starting college. It was 1987, mm. you know, and I was going out to gay bars and, you know, I would see RuPaul up on the screen and be like, fuck, that's crazy. Yeah. And I remember feeling very proud, like, wow, we, like, we are starting to get noticed. But, you know, there was such a long road ahead. But, um, Oh, we're gonna leave. We're out of time already. Oh my gosh, good stuff. I know, right? Calls. It just, I know. We just, <laughs> we just. Oh yeah. Well, I took the phone off the hook. I was just so excited. <laughs> um, but on March 6, nineteen eighty, Divine spent the day at Sunset Gower Studios rehearsing for his guest appearance um, the next day as Uncle Otto in Married with Children. And on March uh, March seventh should have been his big day. It was the first day that he would have really crossed over and been on you know mainstream TV. And that evening, he enjoyed a dinner with some friends at the restaurants um, at the Regency Plaza Suites Hotel where he was staying. And he suffered. He suffered from in a large heart due to severe weight problem. Um, it was estimated that he was between 320 and 370 pounds. And on the morning um, of March 7th, 1988, you know, they found his body um, by his manager found his body and he passed away from cardiac arrest in his sleep. Um, one song that he did do, which was a cover, which I want to leave our listeners with today, was a Frankie Valley song, which he covered. Um, it was uh, Frankie Valley in the Four Seasons actually hit called Walk Like a Man. And so I think that this also speaks volume. Like if you're going to cover a song as a drag queen, to, you know, to sing "Walk Like a Man." <laughs> That's amazing. It's kind of, there, there's so many like innuendos about that. Like I'm not, but I am, and doesn't really, you know. I, and I just think it was it's so so cool. So um, I want to g- play out with this, but I want to um, thank you both so much for coming on the show today. Yeah, you guys you're were right amazing, on. and thank you all my listeners. You guys are amazing all around the world. We appreciate you listening to us every week. Don't forget, if you're listening to us live, you can subscribe 
to our podcast. Share them with your friends. And if you don't like the show, then share them with your enemies. <laughs> don't forget we're on Instagram at Really Queen Radio. Our website's reallyqueenradio.com. And we uh, really, again, thank everybody for all of your support all year long. And um, we are going to uh, walk like a man. Walk like a man. Walk and like we will see you guys next week on the show. Thank you very much. I'm Brian Kent signing off. Thank you, Gina. Thank you, Dante. Thank you. Bye-bye. Have a good week, everybody. See you next week. Bye-bye.